Welcome to Animal Cafe, where you'll hear weekly interviews with experts and enthusiasts working to better the lives of animals, and a monthly segment reviewing fun, fabulous, and useful products for your pets. Check our website, animalcafe.co, for more. Hi there. Today, we're talking with Cindy Bruckert of Regarding Rover, an educational service for dogs and their people. Cindy's also the trainer and playgroup coordinator at Multnomah Multnomah Animal Shelter. I was going to say Multnomah County, I suppose, which is true. Right, Cindy? Yes, it is. Well, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for for taking your time out of your busy schedule to talk to me today. I know that you have a lot of irons in the fire. (laughs) I do, but I'm happy to be here. And, you know, um, I wanted to speak with you because you are doing something that is still... uh, relatively or maybe very unique in a shelter environment, which is you offer playgroups for shelter dogs, yes? Yes. And and how does that work? How does that work in a shelter such as your own? The Multnomah Animal Shelter is an open admission shelter. Yes, we are. We're also an open paw shelter. Oh, yes, so you are. You are an open paw shelter. That's so exciting, which is impressive because I think Multnomah Shelter is the only full open paw shelter that is also an open admission county shelter. Yes, and so it can be done. <laughs> yes, it can be, and it can be done well. If, yes, if yeah. I say and, so. and actually open paw is, is, was the catalyst for being able to do playgroups. Okay. Uh, be, because we were already, it, for those who understand open paw, or well, and for those who don't, um, because we were already doing in-kennel training and taking the dogs out of the kennels and training them and doing so much enrichment, it seemed like the natural next step. Okay. Um, but shelter playgroups are very dependent on volunteer participation, and thanks to Open Paw, we have plenty of volunteers to support a program. And Okay, so right off, I have so many questions about this, and, <laughs> and but right off the bat, how do you... Oh, so many questions. Where do you begin? How do you how do you run a shelter playgroup with volunteers? I guess let's, I'll ask a long question, then we can break it down. Because okay. a shelter, because because playgroups in general can be quite intense and um, and exciting, and uh, I think they require a trained eye and you know certainly supervision. So first of all, I guess how do you how do you manage your playgroups? Well, the, the first thing we did as far as volunteers go and volunteer participation is that they had to be at least a level two in Open Paw, certified level two. So then we know that they have um, some handling skills, some understanding of training. Uh, they've been working with the dogs one-on-one. And my preference would have been to wait until they're level three. Okay. Um, I don't believe that you can have a safe, quality shelter playgroup with just volunteers. You have to have somebody in charge who has um, who has the, the training skill and experience, um, and not just training dogs, but being in playgroups, whether it be dog daycare or uh, owner-attended uh, playgroups that, that somebody runs. But you have to have somebody in charge who really understands uh, dog play behavior. And then the volunteers learn very quickly. And one of my rules for for playgroups is that the volunteer, when they start, when it's their first few playgroups, they're there to observe and listen. 
and learn. Okay. So, so as you, as the program goes on, your volunteers get wiser and wiser and wiser. And I guess because at least with Open Paw Level 1, they are really learning to observe animal behavior and read signals, and then at Level 2, they're dealing with practicing impulse control. So there is some help, but I do think Level 3, there's a lot of meat and potatoes, just training skills um, that you first would learn one-on-one with a dog before having a group. May I, may I ask, how many dogs would you have in a play group? And Okay. And or how many or what is the volunteer ratio or human to dog ratio? Um, okay, so my my group size is not. A lot of people are going to disagree with me. Um, I think when people think about shelter playgroups, they imagine you know ten, twenty dogs, all the dogs. I don't know, all out in in the group, and that's how people imagine daycare. And <laughs> I I did dog daycare for seven years. And I never had more than eight or ten in a group. That was perfect for daycare. In a, in a shelter playgroup, and I've always I've always said that you should have one person for every four dogs. Okay. In dog daycare. Okay. In the shelter, it really fluctuates for me. It depends on um, because the shelter population is changing all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and then sometimes it's not. You have dogs who are staying longer. So sometimes you have a core group and sometimes you don't. And a core group is a group of dogs that you have assessed over and over. You know what their reactions are going to be. You're feeling really comfortable with them. If you've got a core group of three or four dogs, you can add in three or four dogs. Okay. Because uh, okay. you're comfortable with the dynamic at that level. It's even. It's, it's pretty steady. Right. You, you know if they can give a correction without going overboard. You know if they can handle being given a correction. Um, you know if, if they're good with boy dogs and girl dogs and same age dogs and puppies. So, so you have enough information to be comfortable. Then there are days when you come in and your entire core group has been adopted and you're thrilled, <laughs> you're thrilled for them, but you're very sad for yourself. <laughs> and you have to start all over because you've got, you know, 20, 30, or maybe 50 kennels full of dogs that you've never had out in, in a playgroup. So yeah, that's in that cool. case, I will do small, two dogs, three dogs at a time. Um, most dogs, 25 minutes of play is plenty. So we would run our play groups for three hours. So we'd have two dogs out for a while. We'd take them back. We'd start over with a couple of dogs. Maybe we'd add in one, but it never got past two or three. Okay. So it depends on what, what you're starting with. Um, but I would never go over... I don't think we ever went over eight dogs at a time. I think that's plenty. And when you said people would disagree with you, in which way would, would they disagree? Do you think they, they wanted more dogs? Yes. Really? Yes. I, I think that there is um, an idea out there that the more dogs you have, the better play group it is. That, that the number of dogs equals success. Mm-hmm. And I disagree with that. Okay. okay. I want quality, not quantity. And... and uh, yeah, it's, it seems to me, well, seems, I've seen it, uh, that you know, th- th- it's not a case of the more the merrier, necessarily. Right, right. Uh, do you and do assessments with each dog individually before they even become playgroup candidates? Yes. So, so we, call it, uh, we call it getting a baseline a lot of times. Um, the criteria for me, and 
and you were the inspiration for this. Oh. Because uh, before you even bring it up, I know that uh, you you had mentioned at one time uh, the worry about dogs being dogs who are already maybe too dog centric or uh, don't find humans relevant. Mm hmm. For them to be put in a group where they can practice that further would be detrimental to to their future and for their adoption. So some of my criteria are I want a dog that at least finds humans relevant without food, um, whether that be that they allow petting and they kind of lean into you, um, that if you ignore them, they come back and check in with you every few minutes. Um, that they'll make eye contact, you know, something that says, I like being with humans and you matter. Okay, so uh, I, so if a dog's already kind of overly dog-centric or just not focused on people, they might not be a candidate, at, at, at least at the outset. Right, and what we would do then is we would uh, communicate with our level three open paw volunteers and say, in order to get this dog into playgroups, could you work with them a little more on eye contact and paying attention uh, to people? You know, I, I don't put a lot of stock in teaching them their name because their name is going to be changed. Um, so we have them work with them a little bit so that by the time we get them into playgroups, they at least find us somewhat relevant. <laughs> yes, and I guess we should maybe explain to, to people that I, 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 the reason that human relevancy is important to a, a shelter dog is because... Dogs don't adopt dogs. People do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and people want to make a connection. I mean, well, want to. They need to make a connection with a dog in order to, you know, consider adopting and taking yes. and taking that dog home. So we do want to t teach the dogs to be as human-friendly and human-comfortable as possible. Right. And they have to make that connection within seconds. Um, Absolutely. They, they don't have a half an hour, do they? They have to. Right. People, they need to make eyes at the at the humans as they walk through the door. Right, right. Now, we have, you know, that said, I have to admit that there have been a couple of dogs, um, and I've got video on this that I show at my seminar. Um, there have been dogs who, you know, they're the ones huddled in the back of their kennel. Um, they're not fear biters, but they're scared to death, and they won't walk down the hallways, and we've actually had to carry them to the play yard. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Um, one of them named Soda Pop, I'll never forget. Oh, soda Pop. And <laughs> we put her in with another dog um, who was similar, was afraid, pretty afraid of people, but not a fear biter. Um, we put them in together, and they were running around like maniacs. They were crazy. They loved each other. It was the happiest we'd ever seen. And we weren't even sure if Soda Pop could walk because she'd never stand Oh, my up. goodness, yeah. Yeah, and now she's running, jumping, and frolicking, and that loosened her up enough that then we could start to do some some uh, work with her with humans. Well, that's a good point, and, it's, and it reminds us there are always exceptions to any rule. I, and as much as we do want the dogs to become focused on humans, if they if they need a little boost in confidence or a, a, an outlet to relax, and they're already comfortable with dogs, that might be your only inroad. Right. And, and in that case, you know, it becomes a matter of life or death because if, if the dog can't stand up and, and come to a person or is going to spend their life huddled in a ball, mm -hmm. and then they're not really adoptable. So, so that's where we kind of change the rules a little bit. But most of the time, I don't want, you know as well as I do, uh, the shelter population is most, mostly adolescent dogs. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them have, have had either very little training or they've had, um, n- they have negative associations with people. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want that dog who, who I get him in the play group and no matter what I say or do, or if I come, come near him, he's going to completely blow me off because then I've lost control of the whole play group. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we're running out of time, but I have three important questions Already? for you. I know, right? I could, <laughs> could do this for an hours. Well, you are going to do it for hours, and we're going to talk about that in a okay. minute, too. But um, what are your top three, what, are the, what do you think are the top three benefits of playgroups for, well, for shelter dogs, um, specifically? Oh, well, number one, number one is enrichment. Uh, whether that be the social aspect, change of scenery, just getting out of the kennel, um, the freedom of it, because it's different than going for a walk on leash. Mm-hmm. Number two would be the training. And and I was just arguing with myself over whether the training was one or two. Uh, <laughs> but they don't the tra- have to be in rank order. That's okay. <laughs> they can be equal. Equally. Equal three. Equally. Equally. <laughs> yeah. The, the training is the big part, and I think that's the part that's missing in a lot of playgroups because... Uh, I, I run the playgroups the same way I would run a puppy class, a la Ian Dunbar. Um, we can do recalls from play. We can do sits in the play yard. We can reward them for eye contact. They start checking in with us. Um, dogs who are not comfortable being petted or touched as much will relax enough that we can give them some good touches and praise them for it during during the playgroups. We can do some training out there that we don't have time to do during the course of the day. And, and can you explain very briefly why it's important to train during play? Um, well, number one, we've got, we've got the biggest distraction on the planet, and that same biggest distraction is also the biggest reward. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's very, very powerful. So you can, you can teach them to work through this distraction, but also um, by, by essentially allowing them access, but with a little bit of impulse control. Right. Right. All right. You have a number three. Um, number three, I I think it's really good for morale for uh, volunteers and staff. That's a wonderful, wonderful number three. I was wondering. What, I, I thought I would know. I thought I knew number one and number two, but I didn't know what your number three was going to be. No, it's fantastic. You know, you see the dogs in the kennels, and you never feel like you're doing enough. And to see them running and playing and having a good time is fantastic. And I think that carries over to. Um, I'm trying to talk really fast. No, no uh, don't talk fast. We're okay. It, it carries over to adoptions because what a dog is in the kennel is sometimes so much different than what they are out in the play area. Mm-hmm. So, so those of us, you know, trying to match up adopters to the dogs or doing the shows, we have a more comprehensive picture of the dog. Um, it's easier to find the right, you know, the crazy dog that's in the kennel jumping and no matter how much open paw we do with them, <laughs> that, that looks like they would need a high-energy owner, we get them out in the playgroup, and they're pretty calm and relaxed and normal. So, so we get to see them in a different light. Which is important because you are just getting one little glimpse of, you know, when they're in the kennel. And I think it's important to have as, as um, full of a picture, if, if you will, of, of, a, of a full personality profile rather than just a little snapshot when you're trying to adopt animals out to the public. Right. And many, many of our adopters have dogs already, so, so then we know what kind of dog would, would work well with this dog. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, so 
so we, now I, I was going to ask. Well, no, no. I guess I guess I guess we've really covered that. So. You, as, as I mentioned earlier, and you mentioned earlier, we could talk about this forever. It's a very interesting subject. The video must really be amazing. I'm sure what you're doing is truly inspiring and magical. And I would like people to be able to see more of this if they're interested, whether they're dog owners that might become volunteers at shelters or already are, mm-hmm. or shelter shelter employees, um, or just or even dog trainers. Um, I think they could all benefit from learning more about this. Because you know, my my thing is always to get as many people as possible volunteering in animal shelters, helping those animals help themselves. But also, you know, if you love animals, it gives you so much insight and education to be around them, like in that capacity. So I want people to volunteer at shelters, and therefore, so, well, I think everybody should go to your seminar. You're you're touring around right now, doing seminars. I am. On, on I'm actually uh, leaving this weekend to head to San Francisco. Woo! Um, we we still have some seats left. If anybody there would like to come, um, I'm going to be in Cincinnati, in Buffalo. Uh, we're let's see. I'm going to Texas, Nebraska, Seattle. So I'm kind of hitting all the spots. And uh, I'm finding that even even people who are already running shelter playgroups, um, the seminar will help them kind of tighten it up, maybe refocus, you know, adding more training to their program and that kind of thing. And, yes, the video is fun to watch. Yeah, no, it sounds wonderful and amazing. And, uh, well, um, and you really are hitting everywhere. My goodness, it sounds like you're <laughs> traveling, a traveling show. I'm trying. Oh, good for you. Well, um, where can people find you? You have a website. Is it regardingrover.com? Yes, it is. And they can find all the information about the seminar and uh, registration is there. And I will um, I will also post a link to that in the little blurb that, that is attached to this podcast. Awesome. So we did pretty well, considering we're both two chatterboxes. <laughs> um, but I think we should wrap it up. Uh, thank you very much for taking time. And I guess now it's probably back to your goats. Yes, it is. Yeah. I'm so jealous. So please kiss your goats for me. <laughs> I will. And uh, thank you again. Thank you, Kelly. Bye-bye. Bye.